This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We finally have a good idea of where the Cuyahoga County Jail will go, or at least is recommended to go. One of the stories we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio will be starting, though, with issue one, of course. It's a news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Layla Atassi, Laura Johnston, and Lisa Garvin. And I have to point out, some of the people on this podcast are having work done on their house. So if you hear some buzzing in the background, <laughs> that's what it is. Feel bad for them. They're opening up their checkbooks. Let's start. How did the Ohio Supreme Court rule on the challenges to the wording of issue one on the ballot in the August 8th special election? Issue one, of course, is the attempt by Ohio's elected Republican leaders to persuade voters to give up their power to change the Constitution, concentrating more power in the hands of the legislature and less in the people. Lisa? So the Ohio Supreme Court handed the one-person-one-vote group a partial victory. In a 4-3 decision, they ordered the Ohio Ballot Board to change ballot language to fix errors. So specifically, they say the ballot language incorrectly describes the number of signatures needed for amendment campaigns. The current language said it must be equal to 5% of eligible voters in all 88 counties, but it's really 5% of the votes cast in the last gubernatorial election. And then the second one was they removed the word any from the ballot language title, which reads, elevating the standards to qualify for and to pass any constitutional amendment. But the court found that that only applies to citizen proposed issues. So that word is gone, but elevated unfortunately stays. Uh, They dismissed arguments from one person, one vote on the word elevating, you know, but in a majority opinion from the Republican justices, Joe Dieters, Pat DeWine, Sharon Kennedy, and Pat Fisher, they said distinguishing between terms requires parsing minute differences in connotation, and they say it's up to Secretary of State Frank LaRose to do the wordsmithing, but they also ruled that there's no legal precedent for language to include the legal status quo, which is one of the things that one person won't really argue. They said they don't know what they're voting for. So Secretary of State uh, LaRose called a ballot board meeting for 1.30 today, and they're going to approve new ballot language. We'll have to see how that shakes out. Uh, his spokesman, Rob Nichols, says the goal is clear, concise language. He said that the court has ordered a more complex explanation, which we know can lead to voter confusion, but we will follow their directive anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing everything they can to confuse voters. Frank LaRose is lying every time he talks about this thing, telling people that he's protecting it from outside interests. It's just not true. Look, I'm not surprised that the Ohio Supreme Court would twist logic into a pretzel. Sharon Kennedy, Pat DeWine have shown through the gerrymandering case that the facts and the law don't matter. It's party that matters. To argue that elevate is not a word they could change, it's, an, it's false. And mm-hmm. one of the dissenters said, come on, this is this is a restriction of what the voters are able to do. It's it, to use that word is false. They had really no choice 
but to order the word changing they did because the ballot language was completely in error. You mm-hmm. can't have errors like that. But they to the, the fact that they ruled that they couldn't do anything on the other parts is just poppycock. If this had been a partisan issue going in the opposite direction, they would have been very damning of the language and ordered a wholesale change. Uh, it's what we're going to see from the Supreme Court under the leadership of Sharon Kennedy, party over people, party over voter. Well, the Democratic justices in their dissent, you know, they said that elevating should not be on the ballot. It's plainly prejudicial language. And Justice Jennifer Bruner says it makes it onerously oppressive for citizens to amend the Constitution. But lawmakers would still be able to propose amendments that serve their interests. And she sees it as a fundamental shift of balance of power. Yeah, it's and lots of people get this. We're hearing from more and more people. There's a serious campaign out to stop this, but this is a monstrous attack on the power of the voter in Ohio, all with the lie that this is being done to protect their interests when it's really to take away their ability to control their government. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why did a judge emphatically rule that former Ohio House Speaker Cliff Rosenberger does not have standing as a victim in the corruption case of Larry Householder, the former House Speaker, destined for prison when he is sentenced later this month for his corrupt ways? Laura. Well, because he couldn't prove he was a victim. This is from U.S. District Judge Timothy Black. He ruled on Friday that Rosenberger failed to prove that the FBI's investigation into his own conduct as House Speaker and Rosenberger's resignation afterward were directly caused by householders' political maneuvering. So if you remember Rosenberger, he was the Speaker of the House. He had an FBI investigation, and he ended up resigning. He's a Clinton County Republican. He resigned in May 2018. They were looking into his spending and travel. They looked into a trip he took in August 2017 to London with lobbyists for payday lenders who were working to influence legislation at the time. Remember the regulations on their industry, the fight over that? He had quite a lavish lifestyle. In 2017, he was reimbursed for more than $43,000 in travel expenses, more than 50 trips over three years, most of them international. And that payday lending regulation bill moved forward only after Rosenberger stepped down. But nothing ever really came of this FBI investigation. And what the judge said is you can't say that the FBI investigation started because of Householder. Well, the FBI could say that. I mean, if if what he's <laughs> arguing is true, the FBI destroyed this guy. His reputation is in tatters. He lost the position that he had worked so hard for, and he was never charged with anything. So if there is truth to this, the FBI ought to do him a solid and say, okay, yes, we investigated you because Larry Householder was tipping us off that you were doing bad things. We never got the evidence that you were. But the judge was having none of it. I, I think he said full stop. I'm not yeah, sure he did I've say. ever I've never seen that in, a, in a, an opinion before by a judge. It's like, yeah, you didn't prove it. Full stop. Yeah. He said its argument fails for one simple reason. It does not and cannot evidence that either the FBI investigation or his resignation would not have occurred, but for the commission of the RICO conspiracy. Full yeah. stop. Full stop. So too bad for Cliff Rosenberger, but I can see why the judge ruled the way he did. And the the reason he wanted there. to be declared a victim is he wanted to be able to get possible restitution for householder or an opportunity to speak at a sentencing, but he will not have that at this point. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Is Ohio in line to be the next state where social media companies would need parental permission before signing up children for accounts? Layla, this seems pretty fierce, what's coming in this proposal. Reporter Jeremy Pelzer tells us that Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor John Houston are pressuring state lawmakers to require that kids younger than 16 get parental permission before they can sign up for social media accounts. Under language that's been inserted in the governor's and the Ohio Senate's budget plans, social media companies would have to set up a whole system to verify that every Ohioan creating a new account is at least 16 years old. So the person would have to provide a copy of a driver's license or hold a video conference with a company employee. Yeah, that's not a recipe for disaster. Nothing bad ever happens in video chats between teens and strange adults. Well, but... (laughs) But I could have somebody older than me say I'm me. I mean, that I know. Seems like I just that don't see how you're going to have Yeah. But after um, after a parent grants permission to the child to be on social media, then the parent can set filters on how their kids can use the site, including limiting the amount of time they can access it and monitoring the type of content they see. The, the Senate version of these rules would exempt the parental notification law from applying to e-commerce reviews, comments on news stories, internet service providers, search engines, and cloud service providers. So um, so a little bit of a difference between the Senate versions and, and Governor DeWine's initial version. But there would be stiff penalties for any social media company that doesn't comply. For every day that they fail to do what's required, Ohio courts would be required to impose a civil penalty of up to $1,000. And the penalties would increase per day for each day of the violation. Um once it passes 60 days. That seems like it's putting an, a lot, an awful lot of onus on a social media mm-hmm. company. Um, I, we all understand Surgeon General's comments that social media is a disaster for kids. It's creating all sorts of self-image issues. And, and we've all seen the pressure that's brought on kids through social media. But, but I just wonder how many kids are on social media without their parents knowing. Yeah, lots. Um, if, if you... Most. There are lots. You think? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> huh. I don't know. All right. Well, I, uh, I I just wonder if a public awareness campaign would be more effective than, you know, the other thing is who's going to want to send their driver's license image to a social media company? You trust no. them? Yeah, with of course your not. Private information? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. Um, I get where they're going. It seems like they're rushing. The other problem with this is they put it in a budget bill. Why not make it a separate bill? Why not do the full hearings, come up with something workable? You're not supposed to put new legislation into the budget like this. It's a, it, it breaks the whole single subject rule. So good motive, but kind of very bad carrying out of the mission. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County Executive Chris Renane has picked his site for the new Cuyahoga County Jail, and it's one that has stood out from the beginning. Layla, where is it, and what's next? The site Ronane prefers is in Garfield Heights. Everyone is, is familiar with that City View shopping center right off 480 on Transportation Boulevard. It was that shopping plaza built on the landfill maybe 15 years ago. Well, this acreage that Ronane likes for the jail is on the other side of the highway, not on a landfill, big enough to accommodate the facility they want to build. And wouldn't you know it, no benzene leaching up from the earth as there was at the last site that the county had its heart set on. In fact, Ronane says that this site is so clean and so shovel ready that construction could begin in two months. 
if that's what they uh, if that's what they aimed for. Next week, he's going to introduce legislation to county council to propose buying it and probably maybe suggest how the county is going to pay for it because that is still a question mark with all these competing financial demands. He um, he likes this site for a few reasons. First, it's it's big enough to build the kind of justice campus he's envisioning there, which would need a capacity for up to 1,900 beds. And it might include a diversion center for folks who don't need to be jailed necessarily, but need mental health treatment instead. Runain mentioned to us yesterday at an editorial board meeting that he believes one of the reasons the current diversion center is so underused is because of its location on East 55th in Cleveland. It's just not centrally located enough. And that's the second reason he loves this property. It's easier to get there from just about anywhere in the county than the current downtown jail or, or the alternative site that they're considering on the far east side of Cleveland. And then, of course, there would be little to no environmental cleanup required. And Renane clearly has has prioritized the health and safety of the inmates who would be housed there. He mentioned that several times yesterday. Yeah, the, this we've been hearing about this site for quite some time, and it's the, it's clean. I mean, that's the nice thing about it. There's no nothing leaching into it. That east side yeah. site, the Cleveland City Council is pushing, is surround is filled with businesses or former businesses that would have been polluting, including one that Chris said has a mustard yeah. gas agent. He met with our editorial board yesterday to lay out all the factors that went into this. And I do have to say, compared to the site selection process that took place last year that ended up with benzene, they do look like they invested the time and thought this time you're around. Right. You're right. Yeah, the alternative site in Cleveland, that's the preferred choice of, of some city council and county council members because it's in the city and they feel strongly should stay there because they say Clevelanders use it most. <laughs> And presumably, they don't want to lose the income tax revenue produces either. But but that site, which is on Kirby Avenue out by the food bank near the East Cleveland border, is complicated. It's got six different property owners. It's had all kinds of industrial uses over the years and, and contaminated, like you said. The full scope of that contamination isn't really fully understood. But they know that there's both been a battery factory and a mustard agent disposal area and experimentation lab located there. So uh, yeah, that it would take at least two years to get that site ready for construction. The um, you mentioned the money, and we we asked about that, and and he was cagey about it. I think because they haven't come up with the plan, but we asked about it in the context of you got all sorts of people with their hands out. You need a jail. Mm-hmm. You need a courthouse. The Haslam's want hundreds of millions or more for their stadium. Um, Paul Dolan and the Guardians are going to stretch their budget. So I think there's going to be extra money needed there. And the Cavs that just got a big taxpayer bailout are back with their hands out. But Ronane was very, very sharp about this, that the jail's his priority, that he has a duty to provide a safe and and secure environment for the jail. And so he, he never said this takes precedence of all, over all others, but he kind right. of did. Right. And it should. Those other things are luxuries, and this is uh, this is the responsibility of the county. It's in that the, the current facility has fallen into complete disrepair. It's been neglected for far too long, and and this is the logical next step, and we have to do it. Yeah, there's a like I said, there's a lot to like about this site. So, I'm sure this will get get a good grilling in uh, Cuyahoga County Council. I think it's in the council president's ward. So I don't know how much that'll play into the discussion. Uh, Ronane did say Garfield Heights is fully in support of getting it out there. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
The sunny streak lasted 21 glorious days before we got hit with the cool, rainy days of late. What do the numbers say, Laura, about the wonderful streak that was? So we were just four days short of that 1977 record. And so while it was glorious, we definitely needed the rain. But there were just seven days in that 21-day streak when the temperature even reached the 80s. I mean, that was the thing. It wasn't just without rain, right? It was mostly sunny, mostly cloudless, and mostly totally pleasant. So we had a high of 87 on May 30th. That was the highest. Um, We had 12 days in the 70s, one in the 60s. And on May 14th, the high was just 58 degrees. It was just after that we had our frost. So we've kind of uh, gone all over the place. But May's temperatures were 2.7 degrees below normal. And June so far, we're down 1.8 degrees. I mean, yesterday was downright chilly. Yeah, windy, cold, gray. It was a very stark contrast to what we'd had for the previous three weeks. Yeah, it was my daughter's first swim team practice. (laughs) And I I actually swam laps outside too, because the water's like 82 degrees. It was beautiful. But yeah, we've actually started summer like, you know, I mean, I guess it's not officially summer yet, but it's June and it's a little bit cooler than most people would like. But uh, the, the weekend looks pretty nice and we're getting into those really long stretches of days from June 20th to June 25th. We're going to see the sunrise at 5.53 a.m. and the sunset at 9.04 p.m. That's more than 15 hours of potential sunlight a day. So soak it in, guys. And then, of course, the days start getting shorter. Okay, yeah, but let's just enjoy <laughs> the long ones for now. I feel like you're always telling me it's going to end. Nothing, like, let's good just live in the now. No, no, it's too it's dry. Too the... It's too rainy. It's too. <laughs> no, no, it's been great. We're in a good place. Wait, Layla, when it was t- when it was sunny, it was too yeah. dry. Now that it's rainy, it's we miss the. I know. <laughs> Try. You guys are just pessimists. You're listening <laughs> to today in Ohio. All right, Lisa, how is Ohio now trying to help people who were socked financially by the East Palestine train wreck? The state is offering up to $5 million in zero interest forgivable loans to businesses affected by the February 3rd derailment and spill. The money comes from the Ohio Controlling Board Emergency Purposes and Contingencies Fund. It will be administered by the Ohio Department of Development. All for-profit and non-profit businesses within two miles of the accident site can apply for loans from $10,000 up to $1 million apiece, but there are several strings attached. They cannot exceed the gross revenue that they made in 2022. They had to be in operation as of December 1st of 2022. They must provide evidence of economic injury, annual revenue and expenses. And then loans that are used to pay employee wages and benefits, rent or mortgage, utility bills, personal protective equipment or inventory replacement will be forgiven. Um, They cannot pay for their personal residence expenses if their business is in their residence. And of course, Norfolk Southern, this comes on top of the millions that Norfolk Southern is giving in financial assistance uh, to reimburse homeowners for property value declines and and other assistance. It, It really does seem like East Palestine is getting very favorable treatment. We're bending over backwards to help them out in every way possible, but there have been lots of people that have been socked by different tragedies that have never been treated like this. I mean, this seems like I don't know. What is it about East Palestine that is getting 
all of this positive treatment. I feel the same way as you, Chris. When I was reading this, I was thinking, wow, I mean, they're getting millions and millions of dollars now from the state and from Norfolk Southern and from other areas. So yeah, it kind of makes you go, hmm. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We didn't get to this Monday because of all the news, but Cuyahoga County's most notorious corrupt politician is out of prison early. What's the story? We, of course, are talking about disgraced former Cuyahoga County Commissioner Jimmy DeMora. So we all remember DeMora. He operated this vast and widespread pay-to-play scheme across the county. And so he is going to get out early thanks to the CARES Act. It was like Saturday was the last day you could use the CARES Act to let prisoners out early because of health issues. And he will serve the remainder of his sentence until 2030 at home on house arrest. He got out seven years early. You remember a little while back, because of a change in the law, he actually got five years shaved off of his sentence. So now he was eligible for release. And it was under... Oh, go ahead. Okay, I was just to say, it was under the CARES Act that the prison officials get to decide whether to release certain inmates who pose this particular risk of contracting coronavirus. He's already had it twice. Got a host of other health issues too. What's interesting, though, is the CARES Act was made possible by the pandemic emergency. And the way the law was written is the CARES Act would expire 30 days after the emergency, which was last Saturday was the 30 day mark. He was released just in time. If he had not been released before Saturday, they could not have released him under the CARES Act. There's also a caveat that was developed following the passage of the CARES Act that once you're sent home, under the CARES Act for coronavirus issues, even if you get better, if you get healthy, you don't come back. You spend the rest of your sentence, no matter how long it is, under home confinement. So he's out of prison for good. He's not free Mm -hmm. because he's under home confinement. He's got to live with all those rules. But we had been hearing that his health was was quite bad. We hear that about a lot of inmates. They always try to get out for that reason I know. I mean, he was not a healthy guy going into prison. Now he's had a heart defect, an intestinal disorder, an inner ear equilibrium disease and knee issues, had a stroke and got COVID twice. But yeah, yeah, I mean, and remember his co-conspirator, Frank Russo, also bad health. He died a couple years ago. So, I mean, you don't want to say it's because of, you know, because of prison. I don't think these guys were necessarily healthy when they went in, but I mean, he was sentenced to 28 years. It was a long time. He made about $450,000 off of bribes, including trips to Vegas, prostitutes, that infamous stone-fired pizza oven in his independence backyard. But when you look at what other people have done, like that's a lot of time for... I know, I know. He betrayed all of our trust. He, He completely screwed the way that we handle contracting in this county. 60 other people were convicted because of this giant scheme. I mean, who knows how much it hurt business in this county, but 28 years, he so he, and he got shaved off to 23. So still has got to serve it till 2030. I think the, the purpose of the, the rough sentence is a message to other people who are in public life who might be corrupt. I don't think him getting out early changes the message. He pretty much spent the rest of his life mm-hmm. in prison and is not he's the poster child for the consequences of when you abuse the public trust the way he did uh, so repeatedly and it the omen for larry householder former house speaker who's coming up on his sentencing he's going to spend a lot of time in prison but i wonder what house arrest looks like i mean he's going to be under house arrest until 2030 correct mm-hmm. yeah 
So he's wearing an ankle monitor. He can only go so far. I mean, I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's very specific rules in the CARES Act about it, but he can't leave the house. But, I, you know, I, I'm sure he can go to the doctor. I'm sure there are things that he can do uh, to to care for his health. He doesn't have the prison medical system to take care of him, and he doesn't have the food service. So well, it's a good question. The thing yeah. is that we won't, taxpayers won't be paying for his medical care, medical care anymore, right? I don't know. Works. We ought to look at it. That's a, it, at least it raises a really good question. What does this look like and what is the cost? Something to look at. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're starting to see a steady stream of charges against people for running scams during the pandemic, hauling in the emergency cash relief that was in large supply at the time. What's the case against an Akron tax preparer, Lisa? And this guy sounds like the poster child for COVID fraud. 39-year-old Mustafa Ayub Diab of Akron was charged with theft of government funds, wire and bank fraud, aggravated identity theft, and aiding and abetting. And he will appear in a federal magistrate court uh, soon. Um, the allegations are is that uh, Diab opened a tax preparer prep business in 2019 called tax pro. So this was before the pandemic. He was already maybe doing bad stuff. What he did was he gathered social security numbers, birth dates, and other personal information from his clients. And then he used that to apply for fraudulent tax returns. And then uh, once the uh, COVID kicked in and money started flowing from the government, he submitted dozens of applications for COVID unemployment assistance without their his customer's knowledge. He created fake email addresses. He used 400 different phones to cover his tracks. He also opened accounts with the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services with the customer names and then controlled those accounts. And the tax return and the pandemic money went to his bank accounts. He had several of those. He was also suspected of laundering money through uh, an apartment building that he bought for over a half million dollars. He leased a car lot, bought 50 cars. He bought a house on Ripley Avenue for his family and paid for many expensive trips to Turkey and Saudi Arabia. So yeah, he really knew how to game the system. I suspect that we are going to see no end of these. So the money was put out there so quickly because people needed it. They didn't want to have barriers that anybody with a scam in mind could grab it. And we've seen some serious charges already, but I suspect that over the next few years, the federal courts are going to be loaded with people who scammed the taxpayers out of the money. Although we talked about this the other day. I don't think unemployment fraudsters have ever been caught. So billions of dollars was scammed there, but for some reason they're getting away with it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're short today. We had to let Layla go for a plumbing crisis. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to Layla. And thank you for listening to this podcast.